This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus more updates and warnings. Google and Fitbit becoming more involved with PHI and his ransomware and data breach. This is episode 26. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nawaj Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nawajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right, welcome to another episode of the Proactive IT Podcast. As always, wherever you're listening to this, if you could like, comment, share, or review the podcast, and it is available on almost every major podcast platform, all that I know of anyway, that would be awesome. We would greatly appreciate it because it does help us to spread the word and get new audience and so forth and you know, hopefully help someone out there to prevent a catastrophic cyber attack um, or compliance issue. And if you are, speaking of compliance, if you're in a HIPAA compliant business, please go to um, Facebook and in a search type in get HIPAA compliance. Join that group because there we share all kinds of HIPAA information and anything related to healthcare IT. And uh, it will help you to remain compliant and um, do your job, protect your patients. Ultimately, that's what HIPAA comes down to. Let's jump into it. We don't have a question of the week. Let's jump into the Patch Tuesday updates. And last week was Patch Tuesday, so we had a number of updates that needed to be addressed. Um, so if you missed that, make sure you go back to episode 25 and listen to that. But we do have a number of patches again this week. So um, we have, first of all, Apple releases security update for Xcode. Apple has released a security update to address vulnerabilities in Xcode that a remote attacker could use to exploit the vulnerability. Um, so up, up, if you're using Xcode, make sure you move up to Xcode 11.4.1. Um, we have a Google Chrome update that also needs to be addressed. That was, you know, that's I think it's been updated three times this month. But the, the most recent update is 81.0.4044.122. So you should end in 122. So make sure you take care of that immediately. OpenSSL has released some security updates, so you should be on version 1.1.1G. Microsoft released security updates for multiple products um, around the Autodesk FBX library. So any of their products that use Autodesk FBX library have vulnerabilities in them. Those products include Office 2016, 2019, Office 365, Pro Plus, and Paint 3D, and it can be used to um, to remotely attack your systems. So get that updated. Uh, what else do we have? I think that's the updates. We have a couple of, of warnings as well that we're going to talk about. Oh, we have one other update. I'm sorry. So Apple did release or has updated two iOS zero days that have been abused for a while. They uh, affect Apple Mail and 
um, affect Apple iOS Apple versions. I'm sorry, iOS version 6 and 13.4.1. You should be on 13.4.5. That is in beta right now, and it will eventually be updated to 13.4.5, and that will be a full release. So the vulnerability does allow for someone to take over mail and remove e emails, delete emails, send emails, and so forth. So you should address that ASAP, 13.4.5 for iOS. Right, as I said, we have a couple of warnings. One, the first one from the NSA and the Australian Signals Directorate, which is ASD. They jointly released the cybersecurity information sheet on mitigating web shell malware. Malicious cyber attack cyber actors are increasingly deploying web shell malware on victim web servers to execute arbitrary system commands by deploying web shell malware. Cyber attackers can gain persistent access, persistent meaning they're gonna stay on to compromise networks. The information sheet provides techniques to detect and recommendations to prevent malicious web shells. And uh, this is on the system's website, so there is a link from that posting to the, um, to the um, information sheet. So if you're using web shells in your environment, check that out. Also, IC3, which is an FBI agency, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, has released an alert warning of recent increase in extortion, email scams, cyber criminals threatened to release sexually explicit photos or videos of victims unless they agree to send payment. So I've, sh I've, I've shared that information, I don't know, probably four or five times on this podcast or on the daily podcast now. Um, and so I'm sharing it again because I continue to get questions around it, um, you know, from people that would never or at least I hope they wouldn't go to porn sites and things like that. So it's a scam, and it usually winds up in your spam folder. So if you're looking for it and you find it in your spam folder, then it just tells you even more so that it's a scam. If you're getting into your inbox, then we need to talk because then you're getting phishing emails and scams into your inbox, and that's a problem. Um, but those are the two warnings that came out to uh, this week, um, one from the NSA and one from the FBI IC3. All right, let's do a little news roundup. We have um, some big news, actually. This is on Bleeping Computer, but it's been reported all over the place, and I've been trying to get some updates for you. I have not gotten much more in the way of updates, but one of the world's largest MSPs, it may be the largest MSP out there, um, IT services giant Cognizant suffers Maze ransomware cyber attack. And we're going to talk a little bit about Maze ransomware when we get to the hot topics. More about more along the lines of data breaches. Um, but Cognizant has been hit by what is suspected to be Maze ransomware. There is not a whole lot more information to, than that, except that, that Cognizant has started to alert their clients and alert them as to how to determine if they have... Um, any ransomware, but specifically Maze ransomware on the network, on their networks. Now, because I'm going to talk more about this in a few minutes, I'll just say this. Maze ransomware is one of those ransomware operators that does steal your data before encrypting your network and then telling you, if you don't pay up, we're going to release your data to on a hacker form, and it will be available to the public. Um, 
So this will this is this just happened this week over the last weekend. So we will see how this plays out. I have not been able to uncover any more information as of yet. Um, on HackRead, I have hackers selling 267 million Facebook records on HackerForm. Um, <clears throat> currently, the trove of 267 million Facebook records are being sold for around $600 on a HackerForm. Facebook has more than 2.5 billion billion monthly active users and when its data is breached that's bad news for everyone today is one of those days where personal data of millions of unsuspected users has been put at risk in december hacker Reed reported that a misconfigured Elasticsearch server exposed the personal information of 267 million users these records mostly belong to users in the united states and included facebook profiles full names a unique id for each account and a timestamp um, the good news is it does appear that uh, passwords were not included in that breach, so there's that. But you can expect some spear phishing to come out of this. Also on Hacker Read, a hacker um, who got caught basically returned $25 million after his IP address was exposed. This this occurred in China. Um, this was reported on April 21st, so this happened on April 20th. A Chinese lending platform named LendF.me using a lending protocol by DeForce was hacked, resulting in a loss of $24.36 million worth of Ethereum, Bitcoin, and USD stablecoins. Now in a shocking twist of events, the entire sum has been, retur been returned by the hacker. And the reason is because their system was set up to retrieve IP address information. Once he was exposed, the, um, the website LendF.me said, hey, we have your information. You might want to think twice about what you're doing. And so he returned the money in two different installments. Um, so, you know, if you're going to hack, disguise where you're hacking from. On Bleeping Computer, Doppelpamer, so we have two municipalities that got hit this week that we know of. One of those was Los Angeles County called Torrance, the city of Torrance of Los Angeles metropolitan area. California has allegedly been attacked by a Doppel payment ransomware having encrypted, unencrypted data stolen and devices encrypted. So again, the trend is steal the data, encrypt everything, and then demand money. So in this case, they're demanding about $690,000 in, in Bitcoin to get the decryptor. And of course, what will happen is if Torrance doesn't pay up, which is as of right now, doesn't look like they have, then the doppelpamer gang will release the data that they have stolen. They have 200 gigs worth of files. They did release a little bit to show that they do have it. Um, basically, they released the, um, the hierarchy of the file system that was stolen. So it looks like they stole the entire file system, whatever it was, and they're sharing some of that on their forum and saying, don't pay us the $690,000, we're going to release the rest. Not to be outdone, New Orleans once again in the ransomware news department. Um, I'm getting this. There isn't a lot of information on this for some reason, but I'm getting this on WWLTV.com. Orleans Parish Assessor's Office hit by a ransomware attack. Officials say no personal info lost, which is probably why it's not showing up on any of the um, <clears throat> IT sites. It is unclear when the ransomware was discovered and what kind of damage it did to the system. New Orleans... The Orleans Parish Assessor's Office is the latest government agency to be hit with a cyber attack. The agency, which handles property assessments, 
and taxes in the city of New Orleans, said in a statement Friday that it was working with the FBI to investigate the security breach. The Orleans Parish Assessor's Office is working closely with the Federal Bureau of Investigation after our server was breached by ransomware officials, said in a statement. No personal or confidential information was stolen due to the multiple levels of authentication in the assessor system and all all the office functions will continue as the data critical to the operation of the office is still accessible. The office said it would continue to reevaluate homes for the 2021 tax year and that public-facing sections of the assessor's office website would not see any changes. It is unclear when the ransomware was discovered and what kind of damage it did to the system. The city of New Orleans was crippled at the end of 2019 by a severe ransomware attack that forced the city to reformat all government computers, delaying all levels of city governance. The state of Louisiana suffered a similar attack which shut down OMV, services for several weeks there's no indication of whether the latest attack was related to either of the previous ones so new orleans seems to be uh right in the in the uh, targets of the ransomware operators for some reason on msn we reported this on our daily show msn reports nearly twenty-five thousand email addresses and passwords allegedly from nih who gates foundations are and others are dumped online Unknown activists have posted nearly 25,000 email addresses and passwords allegedly belonging to the National Institutes of Health, World Health Organization, the Gates Foundation, and other groups to combat the coronavirus pandemic, according to the Site Intelligence Group, which monitors online extremism and terrorist groups. Now, when you hear who did this, who they suspected this, I should say, you're going to be... Um, you're going to be a little surprised. While Site was unable to verify whether the email addresses and passwords were authentic, the group said that the information was released Sunday and Monday and almost immediately used to foment attempts at hacking and harassment by far-right extremists. An Australian cybersecurity expert, Robert Potter, Potter, said he was able to verify that the WHO email addresses and passwords were real. The lists whose origins are unclear appear to have first been posted to 4chan, a message board notorious for its hateful and extreme political commentary, and later to Pastebin, a text storage site to Twitter, and to far-right extremist channels on Telegram and a messaging app. So most of us probably know what Telegram is. I think, uh, uh, think Twitter, um, not really Twitter, Twitter owns it. It's it's encrypted. Um, I'm trying to think of what, what am I trying to think of? I think WhatsApp, but but not video calls. And um, Neo-Nazis and white supremacists capitalized on the lists, so that's the surprising part to me, anyway, and published them aggressively across their venues, said Rita Katz, site's executive director. Using the data, far-right extremists were calling for a harassment campaign while sharing conspiracy theories about the coronavirus pandemic. The distribution of these alleged email credentials were just another part of a months-long initiative across the far-right to weaponize the COVID-19 pandemic. The report by site based in Bethesda, Maryland, said the largest group of alleged emails and passwords was from the NIH with 9,938 found on its list posted online. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had the second highest number with 6857. The World Bank with 5120. The list of WHO addresses and passwords totaled 2,732. Smaller numbers of entries were listed for the Gates Foundation and private philanthropic group whose co-founder Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates last week announced $150 million in new funding to combat the pandemic. Also targeted was the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a Chinese research center in the city where the pandemic began that has been accused of a role in triggering the outbreak. So here we go with white supremacists getting involved in 
online extortion and hacking and data breaches and so forth. It's kind of scary, um, to be honest with you, that, that, you know, most people don't think of these groups as being, as having high levels of, of uh, access to tools and ability to do these things, and it's, that's actually not true. So it's going to be interesting as we move forward because there is a lot, a lot of conspiracy theories out there around COVID-19. And um, there, it seems to be an increasing number of hostility on both sides of this thing. So hopefully we can all calm down and come to cool level heads and stuff like this doesn't continue. Also, speaking of COVID-19, the SBA was breached. And as we know, the SBA has given out loans and in some cases um, grants to help small small businesses and you know i'm not going to get political here on this but it didn't really work the way they expected i don't think but anyway u.s covid19 relief fund leaks data on thousands of firms this was reported on infosecurity-magazine.com but it's been reported in a few different places thousands of u.s businesses may have had personal information pii leaked online after a government agency error led to problems with applications for economic relief the Small Business Administration admitted the error in a letter to affected companies widely reported in the U.S. this week. It claimed that a problem was discovered with the online portal used by businesses to apply for economic injury disaster loans, which is uh, IDL for short, E-I-D-L. Unspecified personal identifiable information linked to 7,900 businesses may have been disclosed to the other applicants of the program. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't malicious attack. It was an error, but it may have exposed information to other businesses. They do say that the PPP portion of the um, st of the um, stimul stimulus package was not impacted, so that is good news, I suppose. Um, but be on the watch, you know. Just watch your credit, watch your your um, banking information, and so forth. Make sure that your business does not become compromised from this. Get uh, get some my identity monitoring some breach monitoring going on if you need some breach monitoring if you want me to check send send uh, an email to support at nuage.tech and waj.tech and we'll be happy to check for you and if you want monitoring we could talk about that too but we'll check once for free no problem i have no problem doing that so just reach out to us or you can just message us on facebook it's m.me. uh hold on i'm gonna mess that up i always get the, the facebook address wrong it's m dot me slash nuage tech m dot me slash nwaj tech that's our facebook messenger you can also message us there okay we got a few hot topics two of them are these mega corporations trying to get involved or more involved i should say in healthcare. The first one being reported on healthcareitnews.com. Scripps Stanford working with Fitbit to assess wearables COVID-19 tracking abilities. We see an enormous opportunity to enhance disease tracking for improved population health during the COVID-19 pandemic, said Scripps Research Translational Institute's Dr. Eric Topol. Scripps Health and Stanford Medicine have joined with Fitbit for a new study to gauge how well wearable devices can help track, trace, and isolate COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. 
The Scripps Research Transla Translational Institute recently launched an app-based research program called DETECT that can analyze wearable health data such as activity levels, heart rate, and sleep, and to more quickly detect viral illnesses caused by coronavirus, influenza, or other infectious diseases. The Stanford Healthcare Innovation Lab, meanwhile, recently launched its own COVID-19 wearable study, which is exploring how data collected from wearables, like heart rate, heart rate, skin temperature, and blood oxygen saturation, can be used to predict the onset of an infectious disease before symptoms start. So not just COVID-19, but other things like the flu. With Fitbit scripts in Stanford, other institutions are welcome to join in the consortium. They say plan to assess how well such device-driven approaches could be scaled up for public health response to outbreaks like COVID-19. Earlier this year, Scripps published evidence that wearables can help predict onset flu and similar diseases before symptoms start. The goal of the new consortium is to build on that research with special focus on public health emergencies like this one. Researchers will run many studies independently with findings aggregated and shared across the consortium. Fitbit will help boost consumer awareness and help its cons customers participate in the effort so you will have to opt in opt in it will also donate wearable devices to Scripps Stanford and others Fitbit users can learn how to participate in the studies through the company's COVID-19 resource hub and there is an article on this uh, page on this um, post which there will be a link to on the show notes it's looking like consumers devices will have a big role to play in any large-scale track and trace effort to stem the tide of COVID-19 this past week, Apple and Google announced plans to develop API-based and API-enabled interoperability between iOS and Android products, and eventually build Bluetooth-based contact tracing functionality into their respective operating systems to give public health officials better visibility into how coronavirus might be spreading. Fitbit, meanwhile, also rolled out a new feature this week that can connect users to telemedicine services through its partnership with vendor PlushCare. From our previously published work, we know that data collected from consumer wearables can significantly improve the prediction of influenza-like illnesses, said Dr. Eric Topol, director and founder of SRTI. In a statement, we see an enormous opportunity to enhance disease tracking for improved population health during the COVID-19 pandemic and are pleased to join this new consortium to bring value to the research community. By bringing together these and other leaders in scientific research, we hope to rapidly advance science and innovation in the fight against COVID-19 by promoting consumer participation in critical release research efforts, supporting frontline healthcare workers and donated wearable devices, and sharing learnings quickly and openly across research partners, added James Park, co-founder and CEO of Fitbit. So it's interesting because... Um, you know, we we're you have to opt in. So both the Fitbit thing and the uh, Apple and Google thing, you you have to opt in. Even once the Apple and Google thing is is OS based, you have to opt into it. Now, so who? Not everybody's going to opt in, and and I think a big part of that is do we trust Fitbit, Google, and Apple to not release our PHI to people we don't want it to get in the, get in the hands of. Um, and then there's the whole tracking piece. So now we're giving, not that it doesn't already exist because it absolutely does. GPS is on all smartphones now and you can be tracked. Even if you turn GPS off, you could still be tracked. It's not as accurate, but you could still be tracked. Um, but we're essentially saying, yes, go ahead and track me, track my movements, track, you know, 
So there's there's some gray area there that I'd like to see them address if they're going to move forward with this because that those areas kind of scare me. You know, there's even some talk online of of using a, a chip, uh, an implant to track things, and and I know for a fact that it's not going to sit well in America. So um, I would like to see more information as to how they plan to roll this out, what safeguards are in place. Um, there's a lot of interoperability going on here that tends to lead to potential breaches, and so obviously there'd be a lot of concerns in that area. Speaking of Google, on ZDNet, Google wants to make it easier to analyze health data in the cloud. Google has opened up its cloud healthcare API to allow doctors to analyze data using cloud computing technologies. So you know another API in place here, and if you know anything about APIs, you know that they are historically not secure. So this is another issue to consider with, with uh, these, these large mega companies working together to, you know, under the, under the healthcare umbrella, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, under the healthcare umbrella, um, there, there may be some opportunities here for the bad guys to sneak in. And I think that's the concern that, that I have with a lot of this. But anyway, Google has expanded the availability of its cloud healthcare API in a bid to improve healthcare interoperability and help providers drive insights from a myriad sources of medical data. Google's cloud healthcare API allows healthcare organizations to collect and manage various types of medical data via the cloud, including digital imaging and communications and medicine, also uh, DICOM for short, D-I-C-O-M. Health Level 7, and East Healthcare Interoperability Resource Standards. That's, um, did I say East? It's Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resource. It's FHIR standards. This data can be fed through analytics and machine learning programs so that healthcare providers can identify patterns that could help them improve patient care. And which, you know, if that's, that's great. You know, let, whatever we could do, even if you take a few minutes off of somebody's healthcare that could save lives. As Google notes, gathering a unified view of the multitude of data formats and inputs often possesses a Herculean, Herculean effort, not least due to the highly fragmented nature of the healthcare systems, meaning the different systems use different um, formats and different EMRs, EHRs. So they're not, it's gonna take a lot of effort to have them all um, all become the same format, all readable for everybody, which is something the HHS and OCR and, and other organizations have been trying to accomplish for years now. This is not new. Uh, ONC was trying to work on this as well. Interoperability was always in place. Um, doesn't always work well because, for, you know, the same reason the information isn't always easily um, translated to whatever system the next doctor and the next healthcare system might use. It is hoped that running captured data through AI and machine learning will identify patterns that could help improve patient outcomes, which is an issue that has taken center stage as healthcare providers around the world scramble to react to the COVID-19 pandemic. We know that the pandemic is impacting every aspect of the healthcare industry differently and that needs organizations, that the needs of organizations are rapidly evolving, Google said in a blog post. 
Our goal is to bring our technology expertise to bear in helping with experts, your experts, so that healthcare organizations can focus on providing the best care to as many people as possible. Google launched its Cloud Healthcare API in early access release in March of 2018. The company has been working on partnership with Mayo Clinic since 2019 to demonstrate how cloud-based AI technology could transform healthcare delivery. Mayo Clinic has since been using Google's Cloud API, Healthcare API, to enable the storage and interoperability of its clinical data, Google said. Dr. John Halamaka, Halamaka, president of Mayo Clinic Platform, said, We're in a time where technology needs to work fast, securely, and most importantly, in a way that furthers our dedication to our patients. Google Cloud's Healthcare API accelerates data liquidity among stakeholders and in return will use will help us better serve our patients. The issue of interoperability remains a tricky subject with healthcare. Battles over data formats and ownership stymies efforts to join up healthcare systems and make patient data available to healthcare professionals whenever they, and whenever, wherever they need it. So imagine you know, two giant healthcare systems that use different data formats. They're not going to want to budge and change th- those formats because of, of the massive costs that would be involved and the training that would be involved. In the U.S., inroads have been made recently through the passing of rules by Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services and National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, ONC, to make it easier for healthcare organizations to exchange patient data for patients to access their own information. So we've talked about that before, but um, rights of access. So Google said its cloud healthcare API was designed to scale and support interoperability and patient access. It added that the COVID-19 pandemic had made the need for increased data interoperability more important than ever. Elsewhere, the internet giant has been harnessing its mobile technology to aid the effort to track the coronavirus outbreak. We talked about that a couple times already uh, in a partnership with Apple and uh, the the COVID-19 tracking via smartphones, the operating systems through Bluetooth. Um, Not out yet, but that is something that is being worked on. So again, Google t- Google dipping your hands into healthcare, um, and you know it might be prime time that it happens because of COVID nineteen and because it's not even just the outbreak right now. It is the concern that fall and winter might be worse when combined with the flu. So um, we'll see what comes of that. I'm sure there'll be more talk around that as well. Um, love to hear your thoughts and if, thoughts and concerns. You know, what do you think? What do you think about Google Cloud Healthcare API working with more healthcare providers to try to slow down this pandemic? What do you think about them working with Apple to detect to come up with a way to trace people who may have COVID nineteen? What do you think about Fitbit? Um, it's it's it'll be interesting to see what people think and where it goes from here. And and you know, obviously there are some some concerns, some risk factors involved too. So. All right, we're going to try something a little different here. We're going to talk about whether or not ransomware attacks should be considered a data breach. And this is not, this is not a new topic. It's been around for a little while. It's been kicked around for a little while. Um, but this comes up this week because of the ransomware attack on Cognizant. Now, Cognizant is a very large IT vendor, uh, an MSP. They um, have, I believe, 300,000 employees. And I think I saw $15 billion in revenue last year. Um, They were hit with a ransomware attack. And they have lots of customers. And they've warned their customers that this has happened. 
So now they're dealing with the the ramifications of that. What are the ramifications, though? So the attack was Maze Ransomware. Maze was the first one, I believe, to say, the Maze Ransomware operators were the first one to say, if you don't pay up, we're going to release the data we have stolen to the public. So in some cases, it's not a big deal because you know the company probably doesn't have any sensitive information, but maybe they do, who knows. But in some cases, like Cognizant, it's, we can just about guarantee they have healthcare providers and uh, other you know law firms and financial firms that probably have some sensitive information and have some compliance issues. So now it becomes an issue. So now Maze Ransomware and now some others, Soto Nakibi, um, Doppelpamer, and a few others have said, we're going to hit you with ransomware, but before we hit you with the ransomware, we're going to steal your data, and if you don't pay that ransom demand, we're going to post that data on our hacker forms. And so now you're releasing your sensitive information and cl potentially client-sensitive information to the world. That is a data breach. By definition, that is a data breach. So if, if um, in the case, let's say Cognizant here has, I don't know, let's say they have 500 gigs of data, client data, sensitive data, it could be you know credit card information, PII. Uh, in some cases, it could be PHI. If they have this information and, they, and it gets shared to, to the world, that is a, I mean, it's already been breached. So Maze already has it. That, that is the definition of a data breach. The theft of data from one company to one company is a data breach. So Maze has gone in, taken the data, taken it off of Cognizant's network, brought it to wherever they're going to store it. That is a data breach. Um, you know, a data breach could be as simple as a thumb drive that goes missing or a laptop that goes missing, all the way to something like this, where or a data breach could be. You know, you're left in an Elasticsearch database or an S3 bucket open to the public on the internet. That's a data breach because now it's available to more people that shouldn't be seeing it. And so we hear these things all the time. They're all data breaches. They all qualify as data breaches. And we don't we don't have data breach laws everywhere yet. It will it will eventually happen. The U.S. will have to catch up um, and have their own version of GDPR, which which, which this would fall under GDPR in Europe. This would fall under the CCPA, California Consumer Protection Act. Um, New York has the New York Shield Law. So all of these things would fall under, under um, if Cognizant, and I'm not even sure where Cognizant is based. I believe they're based somewhere in Europe. But um, this would fall under data breach for those, those you know, whether it's Europe or these states, individual states. Um it qualifies as a data breach, and because of the size of the organization, you can bet there would be significant penalties in any of the cases. So Maze Ransomware in the last few months has hit Southwire, which is down south, I believe, in Georgia, um, and demanded a significant amount of money. I believe it was $6 million in Bitcoin. Um, and there hasn't been an update to that, but they did the same thing. They leaked the data on their forums, and said, pay up or we're going to release more. They don't release it all at the same time. Yeah, it was $6 million. They don't release it all at the same time, but they do release some and just to show that they have it. And then they keep releasing a little bit at a time to say, we do have it. Um, they eventually did publish 14 gigs worth of files. 
which is, you know, if it's just documents, it's a lot of files. Chubb was hit just, was it in March, earlier this year, earlier this month they were hit. Allied Universal was breached. Chubb is an insurance carrier, by the way. They, they're a big um, cyber insurance agency. They sell a lot of cyber insurance. That's their main focus, I believe. And they were hit with maze ransomware. So that means their data was pulled off of Chubb's internal network and Maze kept it and Maze uh, again there hasn't been a lot of updates since since the last one at the end of March um, I'm sorry it was last month not this month so it's been about a month since we've gotten an update on that but Chubb was also hit and Chubb if you're in the IT world you know that they're one of the cyber they're one of the players in cyber insurance now they've been breached do you trust someone who sells cyber insurance to provide cyber insurance to you if you're in IT or any business for that matter when they have been breached. Now it becomes a reputation issue as well, not just a data breach, but it is a data breach. They took the data off of their network. They now know who has, potentially now know who has cyber insurance from Chubb. And what does that mean? That means now they, that those companies, those individuals could become phishing attacks. And we all know it's 90% of of ransomware attacks begin with a phishing attack. And if it's Maze, it becomes a data breach. If it's if it's Doppelpaymer or Soto Nokibi, it becomes a data breach. Um, Allied Universal, I don't have a lot of detail on that one, but they were also hit with a with data breach, a Maze ransomware attack, which was a data breach. They did leak the stolen data, and now we have Cognizant. So Cognizant just happened a few days ago, and there are others. These are some of the bigger ones. Cognizant just happened, or, oh, I forgot one. In December, we had one for the city of Pensacola, right? Do you remember that? It was $1 million ransom request, um, the city of Pensacola. And then a few days later, there was a shooting on, I believe, a military base. It wasn't related. So Mays was quick to point out they had nothing to do with that. But so the city of Pensacola really, really took a big hit in that one-week period. And their data was breached. Their data was stolen and leaked um so then and, and it, what does this tell us so we have a municipality well there's one on italy as well um there's Southwire, which is a a what it sounds like they make they make um wires and things like that there's one here um allied where did it go allied universal which i'm not sure what allied universal is you have Chubb, which is a cyber cyber insurance carrier provider. Allied Universal is a security company. It says facility, like uh, physical security. Um, you, you, we did have one on um, Hammersmith. It was is called, which was a facility in the UK that was preparing to test COVID nineteen vaccines. And this was Maze said, we're not going to attack healthcare facilities during this pandemic. And they had attacked right before the pan before this was called a pandemic. They so that aspect of it, they said we're not going to do it. They did it before. They said they weren't going to do it, but they released the data on their forums after they said they would not attack any healthcare facilities. So. What I'm, what is the point I'm trying to make here? And then of course you have cognizant. They don't care what industry you're in. They're going. They're opportunists. They're going to attack whatever they can get, and they're going to try to make money off of whatever they can get. 
the question here is is this should just should this be considered a data breach and if you think about the basic very basic definition of a data breach is when someone breaks in steals your data and leaves with that data and then does whatever they they plan to do with that data right the data is no longer in your control that is a data breach Maze, Soda Nukibi, Doppelpamer, and a few others now are doing just that. They break in. They don't do a physical break in. They do it through your, you know, a lot of times through phishing or some other um, vulnerability that they've they've found on your your systems. They steal the data. Then they encrypt everything. And they leave you a message saying, pay this ransom or we're going to start releasing data. So in that, now the, the ransom amounts have gone up because they're saying, you know, in the case of Cognizant, we'll, we'll say, or Allied, which is a security company, I'm sure they have some sensitive information, healthcare information. All of these places have sensitive information. They say, if you don't want us to expose it, you better pay up. And then in what I could see happening here is they say, well, if you don't pay up, we're going to increase the ransom demand. So it is going to be interesting to see how we move forward. Now, again, I'm, so I'm in Connecticut. Connecticut doesn't really have a GDPR, a version of their own version of the GDPR yet. So it will be interesting to see how this progresses going forward and if there is anything that changes as far as the laws are concerned around data breach is ransomware considered a data breach. I think you have to consider, I think you even have to consider a phishing attack a data breach at that point because if they get into your email and you have data in that email, which happens all the time with healthcare, you're gonna hear about a few in, in a few minutes, happens all the time with healthcare. If you have data in the email, you cannot say, well, we don't have evidence that the data, the PHI that was in the email was, was um, tampered with or taken or stolen or misused or whatever you you're not you may not have evidence of it but you can't rule it out you can never rule it out and if they're in the email they're in there for one of two reasons they're either trying to gain access to the rest of your environment or they're looking to steal information but either way they're going to take anything they find of value and phi is extremely valuable on valuable on the dark web it is a data breach and it should be considered a data breach and so what's going to happen with this is eventually it will be considered a data breach. And when it is considered a data breach, you now not only have to deal with OCR and HIPAA penalties, you're going to have to deal with the states and eventually probably the Fed for data breach rules and data breach penalties. So if you're in California, for example, you're going to deal with OCR and then you're going to deal with the state of California and the CCPA. If you're in New York, you're going to deal with the New York Shield Law. So those are things that that need to be thought about. You may, today, maybe a phishing attack is not considered a data breach. Tomorrow, it very well could be. Um, so we need to get our act together. We need to stop allowing these things to happen. And I get there is no foolproof plan, but there is a lot of risk mitigation efforts that are not taken in many of these attacks, including education.
All right, this week for HIPAA education, we're going to go back to HICP. HICP, again, is short for Health Industry Cybersecurity Practices. This was released by HHS. There is a, I guess you can call it a commission. Um, they released this for, um, this framework, which is loosely based on the NIST cybersecurity framework and guidelines on how to prevent cyber attacks on your healthcare practices. And so they have, they really have two documents. One is for small healthcare practices and one is for medium and large healthcare practices. And we're, we're talking small healthcare. And the reason I focus on small healthcare is because they tend to be the ones that say they don't have the resources, the finances, they, they can't afford it. Um, and as it's not true, they really, it's really not true. So I can tell you, let's say a 10 practice firm, if I take a 10 practice, um, healthcare, 10 person practice healthcare, you're probably looking at roughly $1,200 a month to make sure you're well protected. Now that doesn't include the HIPAA piece. And that, so there's a little bit of additional there, but $1,200 a month for a healthcare, that's, you know, you're building that out and you know, a couple hours a day. Um, the document I have in front of me, I'm going to, I'm using a document that I printed out is the technical volume one cybersecurity practices for small healthcare organizations. And what it is, is a set of guidelines to help protect your healthcare organizations from cyber attack. And we've already gone over the email portion of this document before. I've done it multiple times. I've talked about email multiple times. And I've, the focus for me is always email because that's where most of these things happen. But you do have other things that happen. So, you know, eventually we'll talk about access controls and um, things like that. We're going to talk about endpoint protection systems today. So a small organization's endpoints must be protected. Endpoints include desktops, laptops, mobile devices, and other connected hardware devices like printers and medical equipment. So medical equipment is included in this. So if you have some type of machine, you know, like uh, you're getting your hearing tested, that machine is considered part of this. And if you're using that machine and it has, say, Windows 7 on it, then you have a problem. Because technology is highly mobile, computers are often connected to and disconnected from an organization's network, although attacks against endpoints tend to be delivered via email, as described above, and I just told you about that. They can also be delivered as, uh, as client-side attacks. So what does a client-side attack mean? It means it could happen, I could walk into a, a doctor's office, put a USB flash drive into the computer, and that's an attack if, if it has the right software on it. And it's really not hard to do, by the way. Um, but there's other ways in. So vulnerabilities in your network, you haven't patched. Um, you download through phishing, you download an executable file. So there's a lot of ways they can happen. So here's some of the ways that you can prevent being becoming a victim of a cyber attack by protecting your endpoints. First one, remove administrative accounts. There is no reason that anybody other than admins should have admin access. That Nobody should be able to say, hey, I want to install CCleaner, or I want to download this program and install it. Or I, it's just, There's really no need. To, these are company-owned computers, company-owned devices, especially the health the equipment, the medical equipment. 
they should not have the ability to download and install anything. I want to install a free antivirus because I think I need protection. No, there should already be protection on that device. And it should be not. It should be something more enterprise-like, not a free version of AVG. Uh, keep your endpoints patched, and this is huge. I visited a, and, and I don't like to pick on dentists, but I'm going to here because it happens a lot. I visited a dentist a few years ago, and this this is probably more like ten or fifteen years ago, and they had uh, Windows XP installed in the environment. And if you've been in IT long enough, you know Windows XP had several different service packs. And uh, you should be on, at that time, I believe it was service pack three that you should have been on in order to be considered secure. Well, I had probably 10 or 12 computers, desktops. None of them were on service pack three, and they were on different versions of service packs. Some of them didn't even have a service pack. So they were on different versions of Windows XP that were vulnerable. They had an open Wi-Fi network that connected to their internal network. They had some computers had mal anti-malware. Some didn't have any. The ones that did was a free version. It was just a mess. It was a complete mess. Well, so we went in. I don't remember the original reason they called us. But we went in, we did what we had to do, we gave them the recommendations, we said, that, you know, these are the concerns. Not only did we never hear from them again, they didn't even pay the invoice that we gave them. This is, you know, and it's not to say that all dentists are like this, but, but some of them, some, I think, physicians, office, family practices, things like that, tend to be a little tighter on those things than dental and optometrists and chiropractic and things like that. And yes, you're all covered under, you're supposed to be covered under HIPAA. So you need to make sure that your endpoints are completely patched. So if, you know, Windows 10, you should be on Windows 10. I, Windows 7 is no longer supported. I would avoid Windows 8. So we have Windows 10 and you should be on the most recent patches, the ones that just got released last Tuesday. And that goes for your software too. So whatever software applications you have on the computer. So we just talked about Office 2016, 2019, and 365 have patches that came out this week. You should apply those patches, you know, test it and apply it. Um, with Office, you could always roll it back. It's not, it's not exactly ideal the way to roll it back, but you can. Um, any other software, your anti-malware software needs to be updated. Your your uh, browsers need to be updated. We know we just said Chrome had an update. So if you're using Chrome to connect to your HR, then that needs to be updated. Um, so patching means updating your software, fixing most patches are security related. They need to be addressed. We talk about the vulnerabilities that exist all the time on this podcast the patches that come out to address those vulnerabilities, they need to be patched. Implement antivirus software. I mean, we pretty much just talked about that. It shouldn't be AVG free or Avast or anything like that. Um, I believe I just saw Symantec is getting out of the business and no longer being supported. So that's interesting to me. Turn on endpoint encryption. We've talked about this before, but it still happens. And I think there was at least one this year already where a device was stolen and it was not encrypted, and it, it blows my mind. So this has been in place since, I believe, 2013, so seven years now. We're still dealing with encryption issues. It doesn't matter if it's a laptop, a desktop, server, uh, a, a smartphone. Turn on encryption because what happens is the 
if it's encrypted, I can't just pull the, if it's not encrypted, I could take that laptop and even if I don't know the password, I could take the hard drives out and connect them to another computer and read whatever information is on there. But if it's encrypted, I can't do that. Once it's removed, it's no longer readable if you don't have the decryption key. Um, yes, you can encrypt your smartphone. A lot of people don't know that. You can encrypt a USB drive. I would recommend not using USB drives at all, to be honest with you. They get lost easily. And there's really no reason at this point to store PHI on a USB drive. But if you're going to, make sure it's encrypted. Um, whether it's an external hard drive that you're using for backup, please tell me that's not the only backup you have. But if you are, make sure it's encrypted. Um, enable hard, enable firewall, sorry. So you should have a software firewall on your computer that should be enabled and blocking traffic that doesn't need to be going in and out. And you should have a hardware firewall on your network, at least one, a hard, depending on how you're segmenting your network. And it should be segmented, by the way. We should be segmenting networks based on, so you should not have the marketing team on the same network as your your staff, okay? They should not be able to access healthcare records. Um, and that, so that's a whole, that's access controls. But anyway, segment your network, but it should have firewalls on that network. And that, that includes the software firewall. You have a built-in firewall w with Windows 10. You have, and then you should get a hardware firewall. A router has a firewall, but it's not enough in the case of, of a business environment, okay? So, and it says here, enable local firewalls for your endpoint devices. And firewalls are especially important for mobile devices that may be connected to unsecured networks, such as Wi-Fi networks at coffee shops or hotels. I would not. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's take that a step further. If you're going to Starbucks to do some work and you have your, your, your company's laptop and it's a laptop you use to do your medical work, do not connect to Starbucks Wi-Fi or Dunkin' Wi-Fi or whatever other um, um, pub, free Wi-Fi hotspot that exists out there. Panera Bread is another one. Don't do it. Most people have hotspots available on their phones now. Use them. Use that personal hotspot on your smartphone or if you need to get a, a hotspot from your your cell provider, your, your um, cellular phone provider, and use that. Make sure you have, of course, you have a, a password on it and it's secured and that you're not allowing any other connections to it. But use that. Do not use the free public Wi-Fis, the coffee shop Wi-Fis, things like that, because you are exposing yourself. Whether you have a firewall turned on or not, the, the, the potential still exists that you, you, your risk significantly increases at that point. And then find the last one here, enable multi-factor authentication for remote access. If you're going to remotely access your internal network, you need to have multi-factor authentication turned on. Um, and you need to not use remote desktop protocol unless you're using VPN as well. So multi-factor authentication, meaning you need to approve the login with either uh, biometrics as preferred or um, a PIN number that you can use a soft token or you can use a hardware token. Hardware token is, is a little more secure, but uh, not always convenient. Um, so software tokens work almost as well. If you're going to use a software token on your smartphone, make sure that your smartphone has 
a uh, password on it, preferably again biometrics. But you know, even a pin is better than nothing. Pin, you know, if, if you're gonna use a pin, not a four-digit pin, use a six-digit pin. Every every little bit you can give towards security improves your security posture, and ultimately that's what we need to do. So, the, what are the threats that are mitigated by this? You have ransomware attacks. You have malware attacks, which isn't listed here. Loss of or theft of equipment, which is which has happened a few times this year, which is amazing that it still happens, but it does happen. Happened a few times this year. And they're not just stealing laptops and smartphones. They are stealing servers. They break into healthcare facilities, steal servers, steal physical physical records, paper records, by the way. They will steal those. They steal desktops. And if if those devices are not encrypted, you can't say, well, my you know 50-pound server doesn't need to be encrypted because nobody's going to come in here and steal it. Well, guess what? It's already happened this year. So... Even that needs to be encrypted. And it needs to be encrypted, too, because it, it can happen through um, vulnerabilities. Somebody could get in and, and, and over the Internet to your server. And there's always ways. I mean, just look at the target, target hack a few years ago. They got in through a third-party vendor. So um, hopefully that, that this little bit of education is helpful to some of you. And uh, we can do a better job of securing our networks and protecting patient information. All right, we have a, just a few HIPAA breaches to report this week. They are all phishing, just so you know. All right, first up, Aurora Medical Center Bay Area in Marionette, Wisconsin, is notifying 27,137 patients that some of the protected health information has been exposed as a result of a January 1st, 2020 phishing attack. Several employees responded to the message and dis messages and disclosed their email account credentials, which gave the attackers access to their email accounts. The breach was discovered by Medical Center on January 9th. A password reset was immediately performed to prevent any further account access, and the security breach was reported to law enforcement. An internal investigation was launched to determine what information was accessed by the attackers, which revealed emails and attachments in the accounts contained the protected health information of patients. Aurora Medical Center has not received any reports indicating there was any mis any has been any misuse of patient information, but it was not possible to rule out data theft. So this is exactly what we were talking about when we talked about data breaches. Okay, so they, they can't. There's no way to rule it out. There really is no way to rule it out. If it's there, you have to assume it was taken. That is a data breach. A review of the emails and accounts revealed they contained a range of PHI. The information varied from patient to patient and may have included names, first and last names, maiden name, marital status, date of birth, address, email address, telephone number, social security number, medical record number, driver's license number, medical device number, passport number, bank account number, health insurance account number, full face photograph, admission date, discharge date, and treatment date. Um, so a few failures here. Again, that statement about the data. I mean, it's just, there's no way to rule it out. And you can't say, well, there hasn't been any misuse. This happened in January. It's only been three months. So anything could happen. Um, but this happened in the beginning of January, which means they did not follow the 60-day breach notification rule. And there was obviously no multi-factor authentication set up on this. UPMC Altoona, UPMC being short for University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and on uh, has discovered an unauthorized individual has gained access to the email account of one of its physicians and potentially viewed or obtained the PHI of some of its patients. The phishing attack was detected on February 13th 
Shortly after the email account was compromised, the attacker used the account to send further phishing emails. The investigation did not uncover evidence of data theft, but unauthorized PHI access could not be ruled out. See, there you go again. A forensic investigation revealed the email account contained patient information such as demographic information and limited clinical information. No social security numbers, financial information, or health insurance details were exposed. Uh, looks like 13,911 people were impacted by this. That's what's on the HIPAA wall of shame. Um, again, 60-day rule, 60-day breach notification not followed. Probably no MFA again. And just that silly statement again. And then finally, Michigan's largest healthcare system, Beaumont Health, has announced that unauthorized individuals have gained access to the email accounts of some of its employees and potentially viewed or obtained patient information stored in emails and email attachments. On March 29th, Beaumont Health learned that the email account breach, which occurred almost 10 months ago, resulted in exposure and potential theft of patient information. The investigation of the breach revealed the email accounts were accessed by unauthorized individuals between May 23rd and June 3rd of 2019. A forensic investigation has was performed to determine the extent and scope of the breach, along with a manual review of all emails in the compromised accounts. That review has taken some time to complete, hence the delay in issuing breach notification letters, which, by the way, is not a good excuse. You should have sent breach notification letters to everybody because the potential exists. The breached email accounts were discovered to contain the protected health information of about 5% of its 2.3 million patients, which is around 112,000 individuals. So here's my problem with this statement. You're saying 5% of its 2.3 million patients, which is a way of saying, oh, the number's not that big, but it's 112,000 people. If you would have just said 112,000 individuals, that sounds bigger than it is for Beaumont Health. But... 112,000 people is still a lot of people. The types of information exposed and potentially stolen varied from patient to patient and may have included names in combination with one or more of the following data elements. Dates of birth, diagnosis, diagnosis code, treatment locations, treatment types, procedures, prescription information, internal patient account numbers, and medical record numbers. A limited number of social security numbers and other data was also potentially compromised. While email account access was confirmed, it was not possible to tell if the attackers access the stolen patient information. So there we go again. Three out of three. The breach has prompted Beaumont Health to provide further training to the workforce to help employees recognize phishing and other malicious emails. Internal procedures have also been revised and additional technical safeguards have been implemented to prevent further breaches in the future. And it is important to note here that this is the second data breach to be announced by Beaumont Health this year. In January, the health system notified 1,182 patients that a former employee had been accessing the records of patients who had received treatment after an automobile accident. The former employee is understood to have disclosed the data to a personal injury lawyer. So you may remember we talked about that a few months ago. A um, lot of failures here. 60-day breach notification, no MFA, no training. And, you know, the, some of the statements are... I don't know, to say that 5% of it's 2.3 million patients, I don't like that statement. Um, that may just be me, but I don't like it. That is going to do it for the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Podcast. And until next week, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.